Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Plant family, I want to thank you for joining us for our online campus. And we have been having a lot of fun during Lent by really diving into the words of Jesus. But, but you know me, I love my, my props. I love my tools. I love my, my gospel tools that I get to bring in while I'm, while I'm preaching. And so all of you know what this is. This is a red ball. And for most of us, we think about this in two ways, either dodgeball or kickball. And how many of you remember elementary school kickball in gym class? For some of you, it was the greatest day, part of your day, kickball gym class. And for others of you, it was a nightmare. Once you saw that red ball come out and you saw the bases being laid out in the gym or out in the field, it was like, oh no, not kickball. And here was the problem with kickball. The problem with kickball was everybody who loved kickball was because they knew they were going to be picked first. And those who hated kickball, it was because they knew that they were going to be kicked last. For some, kickball still has wounds in their soul. And when they go for counseling, I bet you for some of you, kickball was part of your counseling. And for others, it was a great ego trip. But here's what we're going to do today. We are going to look at Jesus's 12 the people that God had called to follow Christ to be the first to go out and share the gospel message. And our whole goal today is to come and see those that Jesus picked to be part of his kickball team. Let's pray together. Father God, I wanna thank you for our online campus and how every single week our online campuses is not only growing numerically, but, but more importantly, we are growing as an online community. We know that this is not the perfect way to, to do church, but, but in this season, this is exactly what you've called the plant to be a part of. And so I ask you now that as we dive into the gospel of Matthew, that you would speak to our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's what I want you to do with me. We're, we're gonna have a fun time today. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 10. And we're only looking at the first, first four verses. And so I want you to open it. I want you to dive in with, to, to it with me and let's see what we want to learn and what Christ wants to speak to us. So let's dive into this. It says here in Matthew chapter one, 10, verse one, this little part. So we're only gonna read the first half of it. It says, Jesus called his 12 disciples together. Now, one of the things that I want to point out first is that back in biblical times, finding a mentor, finding someone who was going to teach you, be your guide, was very unique. Whether you were a scholar, a religious leader, or a governmental leader, what would happen is someone would see your work or your teachings or, or who you were and they would want to emulate your life, your career, your trade. And so they would ask to be mentored by you. 
And I love what, what the famous Rabbi Gamaliel said. He said, find a teacher and lose your ignorance. In other words, find that person that you want to emulate and become like and study underneath them. And what's very unique about mentors back in ancient times was it wasn't just showing up for a classroom learning lesson. It was, it was fully immersing yourself into that person's life. We see this all throughout history, the importance of mentors. For myself, I have several mentors. I, I have Phil Newell, I've had Leonard Sweet, I have Mike Breen, I've had Bruce Terpstra throughout different phases of my life, men that I want to emulate and be like. But here's what's unique about, about Jesus. He did it differently. What happened historically was people would go find the mentor they wanted to emulate and they would ask to study underneath them. But for Jesus, this is what he would do. He would see people, he would watch people, and he would say, hey, come, follow me, come learn from me. And there was this whole idea, this whole different shift of what it meant to be a disciple, a mentee of Christ. So let's look at the list of these individuals because this list is a very unique list. And what we're going to do is we're going to read through it and then I'm just going to bullet point each individual. So let's continue in Matthew chapter 10. Here are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also called Peter. Then Andrew, Peter's brother. James, son of Zebedee. John, James' brother. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Now, this is what's very interesting. At this point, it wasn't just the 12. I think oftentimes when we hear about the calling of the 12, we think, okay, he finally gathered his 12. They're all ready to go. So he gets them all together and says, let's go do something together. That's not what happened here. He had at this current place, 72 disciples, 72 different individuals that were following him, learning underneath him and, and just studying underneath him, just wanting to emulate him. And, and these were people that Jesus said, hey, come follow me, you, come follow me, you, come follow me. And, and what was about to happen was the movement was about to go to that next place. The movement needed to multiply. The movement needed to grow. And so as Jesus looked at all the individuals that were already following him, those he had already called, right? That's what we said. That's how Jesus called his disciples. But now he said it's time for kingdom multiplication. Now we need to take these 72 and we need to send them out to be able to multiply the gospel. It's one of the reasons why we have these different locations, Mawa, West Milford, online campus. We never want to create a, kingdom, a, a castle mentality. We want to have a kingdom mentality. We want to release people to do what God has called us to. We have Jeremy in Mawa. We have Andrew in West Milford. And we have Mitch online. And my role is to oversee these guys. And we want to see how God wants to multiply the kingdom. So let's look at these characters. Because what we will learn is that they're not just individuals. They're actually characters. First, Simon Peter. 
we all know Simon Peter. He was a fisherman. He was also partnered with James and John in the fishing business. What we know about, about Peter is that he was always driven by passion and emotions. Next, Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, and he was also a disciple of John the Baptist. We next have James and John, who were called the sons of Zebedee. And the word son of Zebedee means the sons of thunder. In other words, these two probably were the hot-tempered two in the bunch, easily angered, easily pushed to the edge, easily wanting to have confrontation. We then see Philip, who is probably a fisherman and also a disciple of John. We see Bartholomew, who is also called Nathaniel. And the one thing we know about Nathaniel is this. Nathaniel was a little religiously prideful. We know when he was called by Jesus that, that he kind of said, Pfft, can anything good come from Nazareth? And so there was a little bit of pride in Nathaniel, a little religious pride. And so already we start seeing that, that these, had, these guys had some flaws, whether it be overly emotional or passionate, some anger issues, and some pride. We then see Philip, who was probably a fisherman and, and a disciple of John the Baptist. We see uh, Thomas, who was known as what? The doubter. We see Matthew, who was also called Levi, who was a tax collector. In other words, he, he colluded with Rome to cheat the Jewish people. And so here you have a guy who was a cheat, was scandalous. We also see James, son of Al Alpheus, who was the brother of Jude. And Thaddeus, whose real name was Jude, who was a Jewish nationalist. Now, now we're going to get into a whole new group of people here. Thaddeus, whose other name was Jude, was a Jewish nationalist. We see Simon the Zealot, a Jewish nationalist, and a fanatical when it came to having to overtake Rome. And now watch this, the one we know, and really the kind of uh, curveball in the bunch, Judas Iscariot a Jewish nationalist as well. And they were called zealots. Most of the Jewish nationalists were called zealots. And zealots were those individuals who were willing to, to use force and violence to overtake Rome. They were the extremists of, of really the Jewish culture saying, no matter what happens, God will win even by force. How interesting is that? We see that in some sectors of Islam, that some would, re, re, would, would rather be violent than act in peace. And so when you look at this list of 12, let me just run down what they were. You see four fishermen, a couple of freedom fighters, several that were, were, were apprentices of John the Baptist, a tax collector, and a wild card. And when you start seeing some of their character flaws, it seems like there was more than one wild card. None of them were, were rabbis, scholars, priests, even those who followed John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a little bit out there. And so even though a lot of the rabbis and priests and, and teachers of the law enjoyed John the Baptist and, and gave him some you know, credibility, they, they still were that, that wild card. Of, of faith and religion. And so here you have this 
this bizarre group of individuals that Jesus says, I want you to leave my kickball team. I want you to go out and do something that's going to revolutionize humanity. And what I see next, when you're following in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, it says that he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Let me read this again. He gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Not some diseases, not some sicknesses, but they were going to go out to manifest the kingdom of God by emulating exactly what Jesus did. Cast out impure spirits and healed everyone who was sick with any form of illness. He gave them a position. He gave them a role. He gave them responsibility. He took ordinary individuals to do extraordinary tasks. And for each one of them, there, there was really this place that they thought, well, is this, is this all I'm going to do? Is, am I only going to be a fisherman? Am I only going to be a tax collector? Am, am I only going to be a zealot? Am I ever going to really see the, the, the rule of the Jewish people again? And so Jesus took ordinary people to do an extraordinary task to reveal the kingdom of God. And he gave them a name. And he said, and here are the apostles. The Greek word is apostello. It is to the one who is sent, to send with a particular purpose. One who is commissioned. And when you really study the role of the apostles, the apostolic calling, the apostolic gifting, it was to go bring the gospel where the gospel had never been. It was to go to a, a land that was spiritually dead to make it spiritually alive. They were the, the faith entrepreneurs of the movement of God. And we see that even today. Men and women who have this apostolic gift that, that see places that there's no gospel and say, we want to go to the toughest places in our communities, in our country, and even globally, and we want, to, we want the gospel to penetrate, to go, to manifest the kingdom of God. And here's what's interesting. Here's a little side note. Oftentimes where, where the gospel has either in some ways kind of been silenced or passed away in certain areas or, or has never gone before, that's oftentimes where we see the most miracles happening because there's a spiritual deadness. And when, when people of God show up with the power and presence of God, the supernatural begins to happen. We've actually seen that in Mawa and our prayers that we'll see it in West Milford and we'll see it in other places where we plant churches. And so Jesus appointed these individuals to reveal the kingdom of God by bringing the gospel message. Again, the list of people, fishermen, nationalists, sinners, doubters, people with anger issues, tempers. And he said, you are the ones that are going to do this. And I think one of the biggest questions that we have in humanity is, for what purpose am I here? 
For what purpose am I created? And I think when you really look at the, the example of Peter, and, and Simon Peter is the first one listed, like when you really read the calling of Peter, you hear this frustration in him that like, is this all that there is, fishing? This is all I'm going to do. Some days I'm going to catch fish. Other days I'm not going to catch fish. And, and my life's going to be one big roller coaster. Why am I here? What's my purpose? And plant family, this, this is what I'm charging you with today. God has called you for purpose. To be a part of reestablishing humanity's relationship with the living God that's found in Christ Jesus. There's a, a leadership tool, a leadership phrase that's used called high invitation and high challenge. It's something that many businesses and corporations, and, and even as a pastor, I, I use with, with our teams in our church, that's called high invitation and high challenge. And some of you who have sat under my leadership, you have, you've heard me talk about this, this idea of, of giving people a high invitation to be a part of something and a high challenge. And when we put this before people, it gives them the opportunity to make real decisions on what they value and how do they want to be a part of something. And when we look at the calling of the apostles, the calling of the disciples, you see this moment of both a high invitation and a high challenge. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 4, 19. When Jesus started calling the first disciples. He said simply this, come, follow me. High invitation, come, follow me. Hey, anyone wants to come, you come with me. A high invitation, all are welcomed. Let's go. Come, follow me. Now, watch this. Why these individuals? Why these 12? And I'm going to go into a little bit of reading of what I've been writing over the last week. They were not the prim and proper. They were not the top shelf. They were, were those who, who kind of would have been overlooked, like the kickball team. You know, whenever you think about kickball and, and you were the guy who, was, who the gym teacher said, hey, you're going to be the captain of one team and you're going to be captain of another team. When you were the captain of the team, unfortunately, we oftentimes chose our best friends, right? You were not allowed to choose your best friend first. So you'd always get it out of the way that you would, you would ask your best friend in the class to be the first person picked because otherwise you knew the rest of the week was going to be a really bad week. And that whole week would be like, why didn't you pick me? Why didn't you pick me? Four years later, they'd be like, you remember that time you didn't pick me to be on your team? But after you got your best friend out of the way, you always looked for the person with the strongest leg, the strongest arm, the person who could catch the ball, the person who could throw the ball. But when you look at this list, it wasn't about the best, the prim, the proper, the educated, the slick, the well-versed, the well-spoken. The, the, the smooth individual. Because this is what we see. What we see is that Jesus saw character traits that when redeemed had the power to turn this world upside down. Think about it. He turned men, he, he named sons of thunder into men with relentless courage. When you read the Gospel of John and the Epistles of John, he's talking about all about the love of Christ. 
You see how Jesus took this man of, of frustration and anger and made him a gentle individual. He changed people who struggled with doubt and confusion to have fearless faith. He took misguided passion and turned it into something so powerful it changed the course of history. I look at my life and I see how that's what God's been doing in me is, is he's taken some of my, my traits and he's, and he's redeemed them. And here's what's interesting. The one thing that Jesus saw was not traits that can be turned right side up, but he saw the hearts of each of these individuals. It says here in 1 Samuel 16, 7, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jesus knew the hearts of the individuals. Even though they were crooked, he saw something beautiful in them and said, you know what? I can work with that. I'm going to transform that. And yes, we know Judas Iscariot is that curveball that, that is going to be a mystery until we get to heaven. But, but all of these individuals, Jesus called because he knew their hearts, even in the midst of some really tainted, broken character qualities. And he invited them. He said, come, follow me. High invitation, come on, come with me. Let's go do this together. But then you have this, this flip side. Not only a high invitation, all are welcome, but a high challenge. Go, go. It was a calling. To be called is an, an appointment with a purpose one must choose to receive. The high challenge is a calling. To be called is an appointment with a purpose one must choose to receive. The high challenge was to go, emulate the kingdom of God. The invitation, follow him. The call to reveal God's kingdom. Being a disciple is a high calling. And I really think in our Western Christianity, we have lost the high calling. We look at being in love with Jesus as just a, a simple gateway into heaven. No, Jesus called us to love him and to follow him. And here is what was so unique about these individuals. It wasn't about their resume. It was about their simple yet profound ability to give Jesus their yes. That's all what made them special and unique. Their willingness to say yes and to go with Jesus. Yes, some had anger issues. Yes, some doubted. Yes, some had wrong motives and agendas. Yes, that is all true. And it's true with all of us. But each one saw who Jesus was and they saw the one who could take all their broken characters and turn them right side up. And they all were willing to say, yes, I will go where you call me. Jesus says, you will no longer be fisher men of fish, but you will be fishers of men. Giving God our yes. That's the high challenge. 
It's so easy to say, yes, I take the invitation. I love Jesus. He died on the cross. He, he forgave me my sins. He redeemed me who I am. And, and now I'm able to really follow him in the fullness of, of, of who I see God wanting me to be. But you notice that last part? To follow him in the person he, who he wants me to be. Are we willing to receive that, that challenge, that calling? to go with him and, and give him our yes, that I am willing to give up my agenda, my expectations, my anticipations of what I desire and what I expect of life, believing that God's best is in the hands of following Christ. No resume, just a simple yes. So much like the kickball team. It's not about the the person's leg or the person's arm or the person's ability to catch, but the person who's willing to say yes. This list of disciples is it's fascinating. Ordinary individuals who were called to live an extraordinary life. Ordinary individuals who were called to live an extraordinary life. And I believe that's what God is doing right now in history. He's calling you plant family. He's calling me, Rob Parker, an ordinary individual with a ton of broken traits that's willing to give him my traits and my heart and giving him my yes to allow the spirit of God to do extraordinary things in the place that he's called me to. And the place that he has called me to is Bergen County. The place that he's called Pastor Andrew to is Passaic County. The place that he may be calling you to is Honolulu, Hawaii. The place he may be calling you to is upstate New York or, or Brooklyn, New York. Where has God called you to to be that ordinary individual to live the extraordinary life? Because that was his first kickball team. And so I want to leave you with two things, an invitation and a challenge. And it's a high invitation. Do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to follow Jesus so that he can take all your broken character traits and turn them right side up and start doing a whole new transformational work in your life? Because that's why all of these individuals went with Jesus. I see what life can be. It's found in Jesus. I'm inviting you to be his disciple. Come. Receive the invitation. But then I have a challenge. And for, for all of you who are his disciples, this is my challenge to you specifically first, and then to those who are saying yes to Jesus today. Are you willing to give Jesus your yes? No matter what he asks you to do, no matter what he calls you to do, no matter where he calls you to live and to manifest the kingdom of God, you're willing to give Jesus your yes and to go and be the presence of Christ. Are you willing to go into your workplaces, onto the ball fields, into the dance classes, into your neighborhoods, inviting people into your homes? to reveal the love, truth, and compassion of Jesus? Are you willing to go and live out the extraordinary life found in Christ? 
Because when I, I believe this, when we give Jesus our yes, that's when we open up the door for the extraordinary life that's found in Christ. And that's when we allow Jesus to do the extraordinary gospel things through us. Plant family, as we go into this song of worship, I want to invite you to follow Jesus. And I want to challenge you to give Jesus your yes, that you would go live out the gospel in the place that Jesus has called you. Let's worship together. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.